I listen to the diaries because it sparks ideas for new adventures. Whether it is an episode about an epic adventure or a backyard micro-adventure, I start thinking about my next adventure. I'm inspired by the people and their stories to go a little farther and dig a little deeper. If you want to add more spark to your adventurous ideas, consider subscribing to the Diaries Plus today. I'm Crystal, a longtime listener from the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains in North Carolina. Thanks to everyone who has subscribed to the Diaries Plus. It's been awesome, and you're powering the show as we move into the future. If you're interested in subscribing today, there's a link in the show notes. Please join. Now, on to the show. As a family, we had grown accustomed to my father's utter lack of judgment when it came to managing risk in the outdoors. So when we found ourselves lost on the bike paths of Cherry Creek State Park during a holiday in America, we knew who to blame. Five hours from the parking lot, under a burning sun, with no idea how to get back, I realised that we had no water, no food, and no repair kit to arrest the deflation of my brother's back tyre. And as phones were yet to go mobile, we also had no way of contacting anybody to alert them to our plight. I stared hopelessly at my empty water bottle and wondered how long it would take for dehydration to swell a tongue and block an airway. Just then, a figure on a bike emerged from the blur of the horizon and with him the wondrous prospect of salvation. Unfortunately, the convivality of Americans frequently overwhelmed Dad's British communication skills. This jolly cyclist slowed down and said to my dad, Well, howdy, hell of a day we got here, eh? (laughs) You know what they say, only mad dogs and Englishmen. My father replied with his charming social ineptitude, Yes, well, I'm the Englishman, so I guess that makes you the, um, the, um, the mad dog? Perplexed and now possibly offended, the man cycled off with his full bidons of water and a head packed with directions we would now never know. And we realised two things. First, we were almost certainly going to die in Cherry Creek State Park. And second, we now had a name for these capers Dad took us on. Mad Dogs. Dad's reputation as a modest family man who pottered with car engines on the weekend conveniently masked his real role as vector of mad dog sentiment. Mad dog sentiment is a spirit that takes you on mad dog adventures. It's a feeling that manifests in crazy actions. In order to qualify as a mad dog, a situation had to lean more towards escapade than expedition. It had to be devoid of both the sensible and the serious and it had to contain an unquantifiable amount of glee. Dad's mad dog ethos rejected the notion that he needed particular equipment in order to enjoy natural terrain. He taught us that adventure lived in our spirits, not in a particular quest or summit. It was anyone's guess how he got himself, and by default us, into the ensuing situation despite immense intelligence. And 
how on earth he managed to get himself out. I have been mountain biking with Dad while he carried his provisions in a cooler strapped to his shoulders in lieu of a backpack. I have felt my mother's hand crush mine as she demanded my father turn around and head back down a wintry Mount Snowdon because his children were equipped in t-shirts and nylon trainers fastened with Velcro. I remember standing on Dad's shoulders as he pushed us one by one up a cliff when the tide cut us off from the shore. It was always Dad who said, go on, jump, or why don't you buy a motorbike, or oars aren't always a deal breaker. If the feeling moved him to do something, then inappropriate equipment, bad weather or a lack of experience rarely stopped him. And so, despite growing up in London, we grew up finding escapades everywhere. Life was an adventure and we had access to it because we happened to be alive. It really was that simple. I was riding my bike when he died. My brother called to say things were going a bit weird and I might want to get back. So I grabbed my bike and bust a lung to get there, but I missed him by about 10 minutes. It had taken four years for motor neurone disease to rub him out, and in those years our family rallied in the same way we'd rallied on various mountains or camping trips gone haywire. We tried to keep things going for as long as we could. Jesus, Dad, what are we doing? I asked one evening as we attempted to haul his six-foot-three frame to the landing. He looked at me and grinned. Mad dog, he replied. In the years that followed his death, we tried to keep the spirit of the mad dog alive, but without Dad to bat away seriousness, it became very easy to slip into expedition territory, complete with a map, fully stocked backpack, and a general idea of where we were going. I hurled myself at tackling challenge through marathons, mountain summits, and climbs, way beyond my grade. I convinced myself the terror I felt being so out of my comfort zone was the real mad dog spirit. My love of the outdoors became addictive and pathological and left no space in my extremely technical and lightweight backpack for Dad. I would often sit at the top of some mountain and convince myself I was having a spiritual moment and that Dad was with me. But it was usually just a cramp. So I lost him and it was sad. But I got on with things, even though things seemed ever so slightly flat. For what comes next, it's worth stating. I cannot stand the cold, like in a real physical sense. I've been hospitalised for hypothermia. But I also cannot stand being told I am incapable of doing something. In the fall of 2019, I wanted a project that would get me outside all 155 days of winter where I live in France. So I made a plan to swim every day in wild water in the French Alps and then informed my husband of my scheme. He laughed and told me I wouldn't be able to cope with the cold. Oh, game on. I started the challenge in October, down at the cheeky little river that runs near our house. I was confident, brazen, naive. By day four... Having now swum in one river and two frigid lakes, I fell ill. 
I shivered in a scolding bath while my husband advised me to stop this foolishness. If I'd had the strength to hurl my book at his face, I would have. I pushed through the night sweats. November in the Alps is notoriously unpleasant. The rain falls relentlessly. The trees are bare and the mountains loom grey and sullen. But I had a job to do and learnt to cope with these elements by fixing umbrellas into trees and lining my crocks with old flannels. Those first two months, I ticked off the days with a smug fervour. True, it would take me hours to melt the icy call around my bones, but it was all in the pursuit of proving my husband wrong, and therefore any sacrifice was justified. I fell into my usual pattern, find a challenge, and use the outdoor environment to prove my worth. In December, I noticed something change. The lake I'd chosen had frozen over, except for a small area at the far end. Fog coated the surrounding trees, bringing the sky to just above my head. The snow dampened any sound and nothing moved. The impression of sensory deprivation was profound until I stepped into the lake. The water was so cold it burnt, sensation screaming from every pore. Mouth pursed to control my respiration, I pushed myself out, gliding into the vortex. The absence of anything made me acutely aware of everything. The dampness of the air, the lack of colour actually forming hundreds of shades of grey, the spiky temperature changes of the water as I passed through. That moment suspended me in another realm, one which hummed with life. From then on, reverence began to creep into my daily dips. I saw them less as a project and more of a conversation. I started to notice little colour changes in the leaves. I knew which stones wobbled and which flowers were tenacious enough to keep growing through January. I developed a curiosity for the local area and started to explore lakes and rivers that I'd never noticed before. I began to develop a respect and a friendship with the natural environment. We communicated. I laughed. A lot. I laughed at the ridiculousness of it, and I laughed at the freedom of it. I embraced the mischief of a skinny dip and giggled under waterfalls of jabbing torrents of snowmelt. Day by day, I eliminated seriousness from my relationship with the outdoors. In March 2020, towards the end of the challenge, I walked down to the river. The sun shone timid, but determined. Purple and yellow flowers pushed through the mud. Spring nudged winter out the way. It felt as if the earth exuded pure peace. At one point I inhaled, and everything seemed to move towards me, as if I'd quite literally inhaled the sludgy fallen leaves, the trees, the ivy, the rocks, the rays of sun. A bird released one pure note, and at that exact moment I realised that if he had lived, Dad would have been 70 years old this year. I continued to the riverbank, placed my backpack on the ground, and sat down. Exhale. 
Jesus, Susan, what on earth have you been doing, he said, with a side glance and a smile. I spoke to my friend the river before I replied. To the river, I said, thank you. To him, I turned my head, smiled and whispered, Mad Dog. My name is Susan Greenwood, and this is my short. Thank you, Susan, for sharing your story. Our stories come from friends, from friends of friends, and from you, our community, which we have mad props for. You guys rule. If you have a compelling idea for a guest or story lead, please give us a shout. You can use the submission form on our website, dirtbagdiaries.com. Seriously, we check them all out. It's really important to us, and we really appreciate it. Music today from Bradley Carter and Kai Angle. The tracks are courtesy of the Artists or Free Music Archive. Jacob Bain and Nice Koto composed our theme song. You can find links to the artists at our website, dirtbagdiaries.com. The episode was produced by Cordelia Zars with additional production help from Ashley Langholz and Becca Call. Artwork by Anya Miller. Becca Call is our executive producer. I'm Fitz Call, and you've been listening to the Dirtbag Diaries. Thanks for tuning in. Support comes from Kuat Racks. Their Ibex overlanding truck bed rack is made to handle substantial loads both on and off the grid. You can go anywhere with it. Seriously, constructed from lightweight yet durable aluminum, the black powder coat is made for all the nature you can throw at it. Available in seven different frame sizes to accommodate most truck models, the Ibex is engineered for adventure with versatile full and half height configurations. For more details and to visualize your Ibex configuration, you should do this. It's super cool. It's a neat augmented reality program. Check it out. See what it would look like on your truck. It works super well. Visit kuat.com, kuat, because you will absolutely love this overlanding truck bed rack.